I have on my notepad here. Uh, it has to do with your evolution of musical taste, but I have System of a Down <laughs> yep. written on the notepad. I think it was System of a Down and Metallica and Heavyweights. Yeah. Uh, and there was a particular culture and vibe in the weight room with those classes. There are three major elements to high performance in sports. You have to have all three. It's your skill, your athleticism, and your mindset. So let's take lacrosse. To excel, it requires high competence and stick work. Your ability to catch and throw, as well as shoot both with pace and accuracy. You need to be able to pick up ground balls and throw defensive checks. That is your skill. We could say the same for basketball, soccer, and other sports. But skill only gets you so far. To succeed, you have to become an exceptional athlete. Some of which is gathered by nature, but most of it can and should be nurtured. Yes, even strength and speed. The only thing we really can't adjust for, at the moment at least, is height. But if you ask Leo Messi, Wes Welker, even Spud Webb, that didn't really matter. For today's episode, I sit down with a gentleman who's been responsible for my athletic performance for the greater part of the last 14 years. Jay Dyer is a certified strength and conditioning coach and director of sports performance for MedStar Union Memorial Sports Medicine. Outside of the sport of lacrosse, where he's the strength and conditioning coach for Johns Hopkins and both the men's and women's Team USA programs, Jay Dyer's trained Division One, Two, II, and Three athletes in football, basketball, baseball, soccer, field hockey. Athletes from the NFL, the NBA, the MLB have all utilized his program to improve their performance. And today, we sit down and discuss our relationship as coach and athlete. What worked for us, what didn't, and how you should be thinking, preparing, and training so you can get the most out of your performance. Suiting Up is a show that explores the psychology, playbook of tools and strategies of the most influential people in sports, entrepreneurship, and entertainment. Enjoy my conversation with my strength and conditioning coach, Mr. Jay Dyer. I've been planning on hosting you on this podcast for a long time. We've had a ton of requests from our listeners, especially with how vocal I am around training and how important that is to my career and the longevity of my career. But I didn't anticipate us being able to, when we finally did sit down here at Hopkins, where we effectively first started training together. Although uh, my first correspondence with you was over email that I remember because the spring of your senior year in high school, Coach Petromaller, toward the end of it, will start introducing the staff and reaching out to the parents to the incoming freshman class, which I was on, and we got a workout regimen. And I believe I shot you a note just around like, hey, it was either, hey, what else can I do to be in a better place? Or maybe like, what the hell is this Roman deadlift and what does it mean? <laughs> yeah, my response was probably something to the effect of, why don't we try tackling what we sent you before we start doing more? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, like most of those initial uh, responses from incoming freshmen are pretty short and sweet. And, uh, you know, even when you I've gotten to the point now where it's like you progress to like having phone calls or whatever, or touching base through group me's and things like that and trying to create more dialogue before they get here. And, uh, it's still pretty short and sweet. Yeah. Um, I just think they're in a position where they're really not sure what to expect. Um, I'm not sure how much the upperclassmen are messing with them being like, 
hey, don't don't say this to Coach Jay or else yeah. you're definitely going to set him off. Oh, you know? it's super intimidating. I mean, even in high school, I remember, uh, I mean, the testing has not only evolved with science and, and proper coaching methodology, but we used to have anything with physical conditioning in front of it. It's just horrible for, for an athlete because you're like, all right, I'm going to either timed mile or 300s and it's just going to end up in a hallucination or throw up. And so when you meet the guy at the school that's overseeing the program, you probably get more nerves and, and silence than even the big guy here across the hallway. I don't think I do anything to calm the nerves. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I try to crank it up as much as I can. Um, and again, I think uh, most of the upperclassmen are onto my shtick, but I'm going to ride it out with the freshmen a little bit, have some fun with them, yeah. you know, because after that point, you know, once you have a good time with them and make them really nervous and intimidate them at that point on, it's about building a relationship with them and letting them understand that you're in their corner and, you know, at that point, they start to realize that he was really messing with me when I first got here, yep. you know. Um, so, again, I can just even remember walking into the locker room a couple of years ago and saying to the freshman, if you survive the dynamic warm-up, you'll be allowed to take the run test. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The dynamic warm-up. I had never been so exhausted in my life. I was like, this isn't a warm-up. That was ridiculous. We would have to do, like, the burpees into the Garvey's. Yeah. Push-ups, sit-ups, all, all in one motion, like five sets. Just continuous time. Yeah. Do you still do that? We haven't done that uh, same routine in a long time. We've kind of changed it up where... Insane routine? <laughs> <laughs> we still have that type of training, like almost like a Tabata method training, but we'll just substitute different exercises in and, you know, again, like... Uh, that was kind of a, a a segment of training that was identifiable with, with your classes. Yeah. And then, you know, once you guys were gone and Tom Garvey had graduated and Chris Watson had graduated and I didn't really have anyone to make fun of anymore because they couldn't do a particular exercise, we just moved on. Yeah. So let's start getting into uh, your brain a little bit. And, and uh, you mentioned my class. So we've been training together for 14 years and uh which actually so next year is our 15th are we doing a uh, 15 year anniversary and where are we going to eat uh i think we're going to do a 15 year anniversary we talked about going to uh the capitol grill but i don't i don't know i think we're going to work through that <laughs> when 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 we were probably on our our one to four year anniversary i remember celebrating it actually on the field with the turkey trot and, and like sprints now, uh, having, uh, this many years under my belt, we get to actually go out and eat together, which yeah, is great <laughs> for the young guys and girls out there. They're training with Jay. There's there, when he talks about relationship building, he, he does. And, and that's been good. The Turkey trot had moved on to like, basically, uh, the thing that you guys look the least forward to for Thanksgiving break to yep. now we've progressed to going and having like steak and seafood together. Yep. <laughs> so describe first Jay Dyer 15 years ago and, you know, looking at your methodology versus 
today? Uh, 15 years ago, the sport was a lot different. Uh, the athletes were doing a little bit less in the summer. So that's part of the answer to the methodology is that I've had to evolve with the athletes doing more and more and more as they're in middle school and high school. Um, when you guys got here 15 years ago, we were still in the mode of maybe a couple tournaments in the summer. Yeah. A lot of the time it was just based on, listen, play your summer tournaments, but our preparation is to be ready for fall ball. Now it's, you know, be ready for fall ball, but we're also making sure that we bide our time uh, between being, you know, at a certain level for fall ball, but we're going to build it up from there. And I think when you were here, it was be ready to hit the ground running in fall ball. You should be able to play, uh, you know, a scrimmage against somebody on day one. We want you to be in incredible shape, you know, so forth and so on. And now it's, we're taking the, uh, the approach. Uh, I've used this analogy with other coaches, with Coach Petro, and just said, you know, if we have a bunch of 80,000-mile tires coming in, yeah. by the time they get here, 60,000 miles are worn off the tread. How are we going to maximize their 20,000 miles that we have left? And one of the ways of doing that is not uh, going all in in the summer. You know, your emphasis in the summer is a couple things. And then you build off of that when you get here in the fall. When you were here, it was like, be ready for everything. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I got here as a freshman. I was 6'3", 185. In my sophomore year, I was 6'3", 218. So how did, uh, remind me how we did that? <laughs> uh, we moved a lot of heavy weights. Wait. <laughs> and um, I have... On my notepad here, uh, it has to do with your evolution of musical taste, but I have System of a Down <laughs> yep. written on the notepad. I think it was System of a Down and Metallica and Heavyweights. Yeah. Uh, and there was a particular culture and vibe in the weight room with those classes. Um, and uh, I think it was conducive to creating a bunch of lacrosse meatheads. Yeah. Guys that could play and guys that could step off the field and go downstairs and and get after it down there too. Yeah. So Yeah. The the culture of the team uh, to, to what you're saying dictates the, the the fun, I suppose, whether it's lifting weights or doing three hundred yard sprints or metabolic work. Uh, that's probably also one of your biggest challenges when you work with Johns Hopkins. Uh, and Team USA as, as two major groups or, or teams versus what you get to do with J. Dyer Strength Conditioning and your individual work is you have to, to a degree, um, not get as individualized as you like because you only have two hours of allotted time with 45 guys or girls. Yeah, and it's, uh, you so know... It's blanket training in a way. It's a, your best. And it's a probing process too. Like some of the stuff that you're implementing is going to work across the board with everyone, but then it's starting to figure out what are the nuances to this person, that person, this person, and that person based on their position, what they perceive their weaknesses are, what the coaching staff perceive their weaknesses are. So it becomes more like here is our program as a team, and here's a couple things you might be doing as homework or 
here's a couple other things we can do for performance. I mean, just thinking as recently as last year, uh, we had speed bags installed for the goalies. And that was a big thing for Brock was this is some of your homework. We can't program for this for you during a time when we're doing a team lift, but here's the resource. Here's the combination to the, the racquetball court. And I expect you to be really good at this in about four or five weeks. And I'll check back in with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, again, like I would leave, uh, you know, at different times of the day and might've seen him heading over there. I could have been here working with another team and walking out at 7:30 at night and I could hear the speed bags going. I didn't go down and look, but I'm pretty certain I know who is down there. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you about specific workouts. Cause I remember it was probably my sophomore junior year where you do like to change it up, which, which I'm a big advocate of from keeping things monotonous and moving more excitement into uh, strength conditioning. But I remember there was one, it was either winter or, or tail end of fall where you assigned us into groups and we would have a day that was picked randomly and the day would, m- most of them would start with your dynamic warm up, which drove us nuts. And then we'd go to the ladders or we do box to, to box, it, uh, box jumps and, and whatnot to, to get going. And then you'd break it out into the stadium stairs Backward hills, I think there was metabolic speed, and then uh, 300s. So, you know, without going into you know, which one's worse from my perspective in way of pain, um, what are the, the, the benefits if you're an athlete and you want to decide to run stadium stairs versus a backwards hill or go out and do metabolic speed or do 300-yard sprints? Like, what should you be thinking, and why should you pick one over another? Well, what you're thinking is how do all four of those things connect? Yeah. And then uh, I would tell you if you're picking one on that particular day, that's fine. But the day, the next day when you're picking something, you need to pick a different exercise. So stadium stairs was basically, it's the same idea as running hills. It's for developing power, uh, developing some, some strength through your lower body. And also there's a speed endurance, power endurance component to it. Um, You know, so that's something that you need to utilize as a lacrosse player. Uh, The 300-yard shuttles deal with the, you know, basically like, again, a speed endurance kind of lactate threshold concept that lacrosse athletes have to prepare for. So getting up and down the field, quick break, do it again. So the best way to kind of understand a 300-yard shuttle and if you want to put in game terms, the reasons why they everybody does them, number one is because there are standards for it and they're pretty universal, so it's easy to say here's the standard. But it's basically, you know, uh, fast break, turnover, get back down the other end, defend, pick up the ball, get down the other end. Okay, so – you may not and have run, sub off at yeah, some point. sub off. You may not have run 300 yards, but the idea is like it's that constant kind of you're tapping into that energy system. I got to train that energy system to be good at this sport because it's interval based. Um, and then the metabolic stuff is just the same idea. It's it's more patterned running. What are the patterns that you run when you're on the field? Yeah. Um, doing it without your stick. 
gives you some idea of, uh, to concentrate on your footwork. Like if you're doing any type of turn or change direction, like let's take the stick out and just focus on that component. And then you can add it in later when you're doing your specific skills. Yep. And then backpedal, uh, again, is just, um, you spend a lot of your time, uh, moving forward. So we're going to reverse the movement pattern. Um, I Build look up at strength it, in the hamstrings. Yeah. I look at it as no different as like, you wouldn't just do, uh, chest work all the time. You do back work to balance it out or you do quad work and hamstring work. Um, so again, the idea is we're just going to reverse the movement pattern. It helps with deceleration, helps with lower body strength. Um, and then, you know, the added point is it's absolutely miserable. Uh, no one likes it. So there's a huge mental component to yeah. it. Yeah. And you figure out, actually, interestingly enough, I always felt pretty good about backward hills. Maybe it's because I had uh, strength in my hamstrings. The 300s, you mentioned that lactic threshold. Uh, I want to try and clarify that because you're running, if you're running it fast, it's around 50 seconds. And uh, that's really fast. But 50 seconds of running, if you like zoom out, doesn't feel like that big of a deal. Um, but it's the acceleration and deceleration component. But like what is happening biologically when you finish and you like collapse? Is that that lactic threshold? <laughs> like, why does it's a blood flow rush? Because um, it's, it's something, you know, when you're getting towards your three, third or fourth, 300, two minutes rest in between, right? two and a half minutes, whatever you give us. We, we did seven to eight a couple of times. Do you still get to that number now? These uh, we did that um, as part mess. of, we did that as part of a turkey trot one time. And it was basically like, uh, uh, again, just kind of the old school mentality, like let's see mentally and physically how we do. And we had one of our kids do 11 and I cut him off. Oh my gosh. All under 60 seconds. Well, we were doing 50 yard increments yeah. and he was going under 52 for all of them. Oh my God. And like on the 11th one, it was like a 49 yeah, shut it and, down, and I was just like, we're done. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, you're good. You're embarrassing a lot of people right now. Yeah. They're not feeling great about themselves. And I have a feeling you could go all day. So we just need to like shut this down. It's gotta be genetic. He's got that, that high VO2 he was max. He was also a, a great runner. He was a great sprinter. Mm. Um, you know, and again, the, to answer your question, it's, it's not like you're hitting one energy system. They all kind of overlap. So the, the collapsing feeling would be again, the combination of, uh, you know, the buildup, um, and then you're in oxygen debt and then you have all the byproducts of, you know, the other byproducts of muscle contractions. Yeah. Uh, it's the high rate of speed at which it's happening. I mean, it's not like there's not one particular thing that you're pinpointing that says that's what makes me collapse. It's the fact it's the whole system uh, is being stressed to the point where what it wants to do is protect itself and stop. Yeah. If you're anything like me, your workout is one of the most revitalizing parts of your day. And we all know the keys to a great workout right? Plenty of water, a healthy diet, proper form. But it turns out there's one more major thing that we have to resort to. 
It's the quality of your sleep. A third of Americans aren't getting good sleep, and Molecule Sleep Products are here to change that. Molecule was air-engineered to create the sleekest and coolest mattresses in the world. They have proprietary extreme open-cell foam technology that works to achieve up to three times the airflow of their nearest competitor. Their unique blend of cotton and tensile offers unmatched softness and durability for the ultimate comfort and cooling experience. Molecule helps you bring your A-game, not just during your active days, during the deep sleep of your nights. As Super Bowl-winning quarterback Russell Wilson, Olympic gold medalist Nastia Lukin, and premier American distant runners Ryan and Sarah Hall about how they're getting the best sleep of their lives thanks to Molecule. Even renowned neurologists and sleep doctors agree that Molecule sleep products are for anyone striving to maximize their performance. It's got my name written all over it. Try Molecule Mattress risk-free for 100 nights and Molecule Sheets for 30 nights. And right now, I'll give you $250 off any mattress or $50 off any sheet if you go to onmolecule.com forward slash suiting up to begin the best sleep of your life. That's onmolecule.com forward slash suiting up. Molecule, optimal sleep for ultimate performance. So, so your scope of work, we, we talked about it a little bit, but strength and conditioning coach for Johns Hopkins across the board now with multiple teams, uh, both genders, Team USA lacrosse, both genders. You have your own business that you've been running now uh, for as long as I've known you, but have migrated into your own facility five years ago, six years ago? Six years, yeah. Six years ago. Um, right here in Baltimore, which is where we do the majority of our training. And now we have access to the USA facilities because of your uh, position there. And then your work with MedStar. So you, you have a lot on your plate. You wear a lot of hats. I want to know what, uh, what gets you out of bed. Like what's your favorite thing to do? And you're not going to hurt anyone's feelings. Uh, Strange enough, what got me out of bed the other morning was kettlebells. Uh, I was. <laughs> I keep a kettlebell uh, next to my bed now. By the way, well, we to need like to actually wake uh, up my body. I'd be afraid to like say this with anyone that took any psychology classes in the room, but I woke up thinking about kettlebells because I really wanted to uh, think about what was the best way for us to enhance uh, our facility at Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> So I started looking up kettlebells on the internet at three o'clock in the morning to see how much it was going to cost us. Yep. That's not Is there normal. a shortage of kettlebells? That's not Johns normal. Hopkins? No. Yeah, there is. Um, <laughs> I've, I mean, again, just along those themes, um, I've actually had dreams about drills I want to do with people. And then I get up and scratch it on a piece of paper because I'm afraid I'll forget. Yep. Um, when did all that start happening for you? You, you're, you grew up playing soccer and you right. swam. Right. Um, and lacrosse didn't get into your atmosphere until you took the job at Hopkins, right? You went to Delaware. Yeah. It was, I mean, basically it was um, before I started at Hopkins, I was interning with the strength coach at Loyola College, yep. which is called Loyola College back then, uh, Dan Ross. Um, I stalked Dan Ross. Uh, I called him, asked him for an internship. He told me he'd love to talk to me, but he was a little bit busy because they had a tournament coming up this weekend. It was lacrosse for leukemia, which was a huge uh, lacrosse tournament in the fall at St. Paul's. 
I didn't know anything about it. I was like, oh, where's your tournament? And he said, oh, at St. Paul's. And yeah. I was like, oh, I know where that is. Yeah. And uh, he was like, I'll talk to you next week. And I was like, sure. So that was a Friday. On Saturday, I drove over to St. Paul's and found Loyola's team and sat there and watched like the last half of a scrimmage. I think they were playing Towson um, at the time and waited for the teams to shake hands. And then I walked out on the field and uh, just started asking guys, like, do you know who Dan Ross is? And they were just like, yeah, he's right over there. And I walked up to him and I was like, how you doing? My name's Jay. I'm the guy you talked to on the phone yesterday. I want an internship. Yep. And he was like, wait a minute, what? I was like, I'm the guy you talked to on the phone yesterday. I would like an internship. And he was like, okay, um, wait right here. And like he finished up with the team. Uh, Coach Cottle was coaching at the time yep. there and uh, came back over and talked to me. And he said, uh, listen, you kind of caught me off guard, but I need to talk to our AD on Monday and I'll get back to you. And he called me on Monday afternoon. And he said, when can you start? Yep. So that was my first. And that was post-college? Yeah, that was 1998. Yeah. Um, so I did my internship with him. Uh, great experience. Uh, and then a couple years later, Coach Petro got hired at Hopkins. He called Dan Ross, who he had worked with when he was at Loyola College, and said, I need a name. Huh. And basically, Dan said, all right, I got this guy's name, but he's really young. Like, yeah. and he looks younger than he actually <laughs> is. Because I had really dark hair back then. Uh, yeah, I've, I've um, been with you through all shades of yeah, gray. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I, Coach Petro calls me. and uh, Or actually, sorry, Dan Ross gave me Coach's number. I called him, set up a time to come meet him. Had maybe like a 30-minute conversation with him. I feel like he was just feeling me out. Yep. And uh, wanted to make sure I said things that were in line with what his Cornell strength coach had been doing. And uh, he said to me, he's like, all right, uh, I'm offering you the job. I need to know by tomorrow if you want it. You're the only guy I'm interviewing. Huh. And I was like, shit. Yeah, well, coach, you know, I appreciate the offer. I'm gonna have to, uh, I'm gonna have to think about it a little bit. And uh, I went out into the parking lot and sat in my car and like freaked out. Called my wife. Yeah. Um, I was like, you know, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it. But I gotta wait. I gotta call him tomorrow. I can't like go running back in there right now. So I said, I tried playing it all cool. Yeah. Um, so it was like a big. Uh, step because my time at Loyola, I really loved the sport. Um, actually moving down into the Baltimore area, I'd been exposed to a lot of it through my family and everything. And I just wanted to, you know, have the opportunity to do something at the college level. Yep. And, uh, that's it, you know, just yep. finished year number 18. Wow. <laughs> um, when you started working with the national teams, which was a little over four or five, five years ago now, um, did that impact the way that you were training, began training or went back to train your college kids or uh, vice versa? Because you're also dealing with a different caliber athlete that's more times than not quite a bit older too. So there's the uh, rest and recovery component. Right. So the, the really um, awesome kind of growth experience with working with the national teams is you are exposed 
to athletes that have been to a lot of different schools, yeah, trained with a lot of different coaches, have different ideologies and methodologies that they believe work to help them perform optimally. So thinking, going into it, thinking that I can just kind of say, yeah, here's, here's what I do and everybody's going to gravitate to it or whatever was, that would have been foolish. I mean, it's, you write the programs and then, you know, for these athletes, but you're getting feedback from them in regards to like, um, what's worked for them. And I've always, I think I've always prefaced that whenever I send stuff to the teams is I know that a lot of you have certain things that you've done that you believe make you successful. I don't want to change that. I want to learn what those things are, but you know, Hey, let's, uh, let's take some chances, uh, with each other and kind of figure out if there's other things that we can do to unlock, you know, more skills, develop you, uh, further. And again, as you said, because everyone's getting, um, a little bit older and again, they have more like to use that analogy, more tread off the tires. Um, what is best case scenario for you? It's probably not training, five or six days a week anymore. Yep. Uh, you are swimming in the deep end of the pool in regards to your training experience. Yep. Um, yeah, I remember having that conversation with you before the 2014 World Games and feeling actually lucky that you were my strength and conditioning coach personally and also that of Team USA because we were talking back and forth. It was a new experience for you that you were uncovering for the first time. And I was just listening and being a soundboard, but you know, had the shoe been on the other foot and we, and team USA had a different strength and conditioning coach, I would have taken his or her program to you and said, you know, Jay, what do you think about this? And would have felt more comfortable as we've talked about in a number of scenarios, just like saying, okay, maybe there's two things in here that we'll add, but let's continue what we're working on because there's no one that knows me better athletically and the way that my body recovers at this point than you right? on the planet. So uh, that is definitely a nuance that, that you have to navigate, I suspect, in that position. Yeah, and again, it's like you just have to be open-minded. It's uh, because we aren't in a situation where we have a lot of face-to-face time uh, yeah. athlete to coach. Yeah, this is all the remote training that is we're a, doing. A lot of it's remote. And then when you have these training weekends, um, you need to make the most of them. Like you got to connect with everybody. You got to find out what's going on with them physically. You have to find out again, what they're doing. Uh, just, like, again, I just need to know kind of what you're doing, how you're doing it, how often you're doing it. And then we can have meaningful conversations in regards to, to training. So, yeah. uh, I, I hope that situation changes. I hope that, uh, the national teams develop to the point where there's more face to face time. Um, and again, the other thing too, is, uh, all those coaches that work with those guys leaning up to that team, they're all extremely, uh, you know, cooperative in regards to just saying, Hey, listen, you know, if you have any questions about what we're doing, feel free to touch base. If I have questions about stuff you're asking them to do, I'll touch base with you. So it's like, it's a very like, uh, 
collaborative relationship. It's very egoless. Yeah. I feel like from both sides. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about senior level college. Uh, we both, cause we've had these conversations a number of times on the side field questions over our Twitter accounts and at the U S lacrosse convention or any type of an event where a younger athlete and their parent walks up to us and ask for really broad advice. Like what should I do to become more athletic or Hey Jay, how can I get faster? And I know, uh, um, that both of us get gray hairs in, in, uh, from answering that question. <laughs> but I do think uh, to the extent that I can convince you to uh, follow the rules of these questions without saying, well, you know, how does this person's cadence when they run? And, you know, it's got to be, I got to see this person, Paul, before I answer it. So something age specific, and here's how I'm, I'm qualifying it because we have listeners across the board. So a kid who's, you tell me, sub 10 or 12? Sub 12. Sub 12. Intermediate, which is junior high. Prospect, which is high school athlete. Then college and after college. So it's probably the range of people that you see, right? Yeah. Anyone who's like under the age of eight you send home or nine? Oh, that's a tough one because it's just <laughs> like, I don't understand at that point, um, how we're going to keep their attention. <laughs> I maybe all eight to 10 year olds aren't like me when I was eight to 10 years old, but like get out of the house, play hoops in your driveway, play wiffle ball, kickball, tackle football, yeah, just go whatever. Run. Just go just play. Go play. Yeah. Ride your bike, build a ramp, try yeah. to jump something, crash. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, seriously, <laughs> yeah. it's like, um, so I'm sitting there thinking, what do I provide an eight year old that's more exciting than what's right outside their back door? Yeah. In my opinion, zero. So those kids, those parents need to realize that free play is going to be their most productive thing because they're also going to learn by, I mean, growing up, like playing with the kids in our neighborhood, playing sports, you learn by uh, basically losing. How did that guy get by me when he did this, you know? Or, yep. So I got to learn how to be more agile. I got to get my butt down. I got to move my feet better. I got to anticipate. I got to read their body language. Like, yep. that's not structured training. That's just being participating reactive. and competing with people. So so when you have, let's, let's start then at, at sub-12, someone come in, and you're going to assess their capability before you prescribe. What are some assessments that you look for in, in that age group? Or right assessments off, that you're doing? Yeah, right off the bat, like again, all, the, all your athletes have to kind of pass the test of, um, I'm listening to the directions and I'm executing what you're asking. So just starting with a dynamic warm-up or it's hard to believe we have kids that can't jump rope when they first come in. So instructing them on how to do it and allowing them to fail. Yep. So like we'll clock a kid and say, you're going to jump rope for four minutes. And they'll be like, well, I'm really bad at jump rope. And it was like, you got four minutes. Go. Go. You know, you so. Figure it out. You'd be surprised yeah. how quickly you can, your body can figure it out. You're going to figure it out. And we're going to, again, that's going to be test kind of number one to see 
your athletic abilities, how quickly do you adapt? Coordination. Yeah, coordination, everything. So, And, and when you talk about giving direction and seeing if they can listen and execute, an example of that, what we've talked about at least, is on a dynamic warm-up doing a knee tuck. And you show it where you're, say, you're going to tuck your right knee. You hold balance on your left foot. And you pull your knee to your chest completely and you, you know, ideally get um, uh, perpendicular to the ground and you're fully upright. And then we'll see the kids take off while I'm warming up in the corner and like they're barely touching their knee and it doesn't come 12 inches to their stomach. You <laughs> didn't do the dynamic warm up perfectly either when I definitely you were did it. a freshman <laughs> but, but in college. Is it, is it fair to say that that is a... Uh, that is an example of being able to listen and execute because that felt for me really fundamental. Like you were, I, I was expecting you to say like, well, I want to make sure that when they run, that they're striking the ground the proper way. And you just said that they listen. So many things have to happen before I watch you run. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, like how I'm going to give you specific directions on uh, an evaluation for a sprint test, but you couldn't understand like, how to do something as simple as a knee tuck, which yeah. is a, you know, again, it's, there's nothing overly, if you use the word dynamic, there's nothing overly dynamic about doing that. It should be a pretty simple task, Yep. but you just, you know, failed it because you're, you don't, you're just not, you didn't listen or you didn't understand the directions or again, you use this word, you didn't process it. So we'll try again. Yep. Hey, like this is what you did. This is what we would like you to do. Yep. Um, I mean, we've spent a ton of time after college working on my ability to sprint properly and have the right gait and have the right takeoff because a 40 yard dash isn't something that's tested in lacrosse. I know you are a thought leader there and, and, and back that rationale because it just doesn't take place right. in the run of play. Uh, outside of maybe on a wing on a face-off, but he, I think you've said that's a 30-yarder. Yeah, it's uh, again, there's just um, it's not a the, the reason why people fall in love with 40s is again, is because of times the and romanticizing of the NFL combine, the, the NFL combine where you're you know, you're gonna see a couple athletes in your lifetime maybe run a 4 4, and less than that would be like absurd. I don't think people realize how fast that actually is. It's really fast. Yeah. I uh, pretty sure Kyle Harrison did a four, four, uh, hand time. I did the timing. So I'm like going to give myself a little bit of credit that it was probably close. <laughs> um, but that's as close. That's the only one like I've ever seen. I think Benson Irwin was like slightly behind him. Brian Christopher was, was fast. BC was fast. Yeah. yeah. I think he ran out of gas, though, by the time he hit 40 yards. So I brought that example up because at, at what age or at what point, whether it's, again, the kid or the intermediate, which goes up to high school, are you really working on reconstruction of, of their running ability? I, I got to imagine that's something that you're doing now more than ever. And, and, and a little bit more color is, is you know, at least my philosophy on it, is we assume just through the cycle of crawl, walk, run, that we can figure it out on our own. But to be a high-performance athlete, there, there needs to be instruction. And, uh, and if you don't get that sprinter instruction or even long distance, then you're just, you know, you may just be doing it wrong. Yeah, for us, um, 
everything that we do with our athletes is uh, we're going to start with like your starting position and understanding how to create power from the get-go. So everyone says explosive first step. Well, we want our athletes to work on that with basically every drill that they do. So it's getting out quickly, whether you're stepping backwards, forward, sideways. Uh, everything is concentrated on that quick first step, eliminating their false steps. Um, and again, most of the times when kids come in um, and they're doing their evaluation, you take notes on them and you say, this is what I saw in your running mechanics. This is what we're going to have you work on. Um, and explain to them why, what these flaws are causing for them. It's, it's the cause and effect is because you do this, you can achieve this goal that you're setting. But yeah. if you start doing this, this goal could be attainable. And then from the parent side with younger kids, they just kind of come in and they say, I don't know what's wrong with them. I just know he runs funny or she yeah. runs funny. <laughs> Can you please fix them? And it could be, I mean, again, they, they please literally tell me yeah. you didn't say that to your kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, um, I don't know if they're telling them that when they're driving them up, like, Hey, you're a real funny runner. And this guy's going to fix you. Uh, so, but again, it's uh, some of it is related to uh, the sport that they're playing. I mean, if you're talking about having two hands on a stick a lot, or uh, you know, if you're talking about soccer players all run like they're shielding someone off the ball because yeah. that's what they're used to doing. Hockey players turned on grass to lacrosse. Yeah, I mean, it's like the hockey sprint is like more choppy and lateral. Yep. to get going. Yeah. So, unless you're um, in a sport that's more linear, uh, you probably have certain characteristics to your running mechanics that have developed because of playing that sport. Hmm. I've got a question for you. Are you hiring? And if so, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidate? On Building a Great Company, one of my advisors and business partners, also my older brother Mike, says that we believe people build businesses. Not an Excel spreadsheet, not a business plan. We believe the people we hire will end up making our company successful. Cue ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful tech efficiently matches the right people to your job description better than anyone else. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It goes out and finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. And with results like that, it's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address. That's right. It's free. You go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. That is ZipRecruiter.com forward slash C-R-O-S-S-E. One more time. Try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. If all were the same and we were to go through, or you were to go through kind of each level, um, what does a, a high performance athlete exhibit? And we'll start with like at the kid level where you see, where you can identify this person's a potentially a peak athlete. Well, a lot of it just comes down to their, uh, 
their pre-testing measures. I mean, if you are doing a 10 or a 20 yard dash or a broad jump or a vertical jump or any of those testing, they're all going to be related to speed and power and they're going to, you know, they're going to make your raise your eyebrows Mm -hmm. because you know what looks normal and you know what looks like somebody that's, you know, in the top 5%. Yep. Um, so the interesting thing is if they show that early on in their middle school years, whether they maintain that through high school, um, sometimes it's easier to, to get a kid that's uh, a late bloomer in high school and watch them, their, you know, trajectory goes way up. Whereas opposed to a kid that maybe was, uh, matured early in, you know, in middle school, they're just ahead of the game right now from a maturity standpoint and they understand how to use their bodies and they haven't gone through a, the gawky like growth spurt or anything like that. Um, so they just excel and then they might actually slow down in high school. So I think it's like, uh, for your kids that are going to be high performers. I mean, again, I've had kids that we've started with in middle school and then have gone on to play division one athletics. And when you see them in middle school, you're like, wow, this kid's really talented from a movement standpoint. And then it just continues. They just continue to show that as they go through, there's other kids that have been, wow, this kid's a freak. And then by 10th grade, you're like, Oh, what happened? You know, what are some of the the bigger numbers that you've seen for like a middle schooler or a high schooler? Let's call it high school. Cause I know you're, you're trying, you're probably not doing any max lifts with middle schoolers. Are you? Yeah, we're not doing max lifts with middle schoolers, but I mean, again, like, uh, I mean, we just, even recently we've had, you know, some of our high school kids, uh, that have graduated that are going into, college and, you know, squatting two and a half times their body weight and doing three pull-ups and they're one and a quarter to one and a half times their body weight and bench. Yeah. These are all great numbers. Yeah. Uh, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, I'm a stickler for pull-ups. Yeah. So we're not talking about people gyrating all over the place. We're talking about very, uh, controlled motion and stuff yeah. like that. So you have a crack in your memory from my pull-up record my <laughs> I, freshman year. <laughs> I was literally cleaning my attic this last weekend. That's the, what you do when you come back from Israel. Uh, and there's, I almost cracked them open. They're they're all up there. The little uh, file f- um, containers with all the Hopkins information. In it. And I was like. If it wasn't so darn hot up here right now, I would uh, probably go thumbing through it for your pull-up record I'm number. telling you, man. I was in the 30s. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You've told me that before. <laughs> so we have – well, let's – let's. so you said the squat two and a half times body weight. Uh, what about like a deadlift? So, again, a lot of it comes down to like some of those athletes might not be – deadlifting because of Mechanics. they've just shown that they are better back squatters than they are deadlifters. And, uh, we've kind of gone with their strengths at that point, or maybe they're not deadlifting in their, you know, college program that we're prepping them for. So we're maximizing their, their squat time. So, um, I would say that we <clears throat> prefer doing back squats with a lot of our athletes and a lot of our 
deadlifters are are kids that are have some type of pre-existing yep. back injury when they come see us, and it's easier for us to uh, work with them from a deadlift, usually a trap bar. For and, their mechanics. For their mechanics, and also taking away the idea of loading them uh, on their backs in regards to like the weight sitting on their back. Why do you like pull up so much? I like pull up so much because it's the great equalizer for people that are in love with benching and for lacrosse players, uh, pull ups are going to be more important in regards to just the, uh, the stress that's put on an, an overhead athlete an overhead throwing athlete. Um, and again, it's kind of the whole idea of if you can't move your own body weight, then why are we spending so much time trying to move external weight? Yeah. So. You talked you talked earlier about th- five times a week and then tapering that back as I've gotten older to three times and sometimes in season just two heavy running days and lifting. Uh, when you think about the importance of recovery with strength and conditioning, it's your sleep, it's your hydration and nutrition, it's the tools that you're using uh, to recover specific muscles, and that could be, um, you know, your roll, your foam roller, or uh, you know, bands that you're using to stretch, uh, and 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 quite literally just time off. And there's this notion that athletes, and a lot of athletes, frankly, um, and non-sport specific, feel a a need to work out every day as if they're, they're chasing the competition or like the age old threat that there's someone somewhere else that's out working you. Right. Um, and so where have you landed and how do you communicate that effectively to your athletes around taking time off? I know we've had this discussion a lot. So I think that we relay that message to our athletes from early on in regards to managing the amount of stress that you're putting on your body. Um, because again, this is a, uh, you're in this for the long haul. If you're a kid that's in middle school and you're coming to train with us, you probably have some goal off in the distance of playing college athletics. So we don't have to earn everything or accomplish everything today when you're in seventh grade we have a process that we can go through to navigate you through the rest of middle school through high school help you get to college and then whatever your whatever happens after that so from a recovery standpoint i think the message is relayed to all our athletes uh at every age i just feel like our athletes that are older for which is a relative term just listen more. Yeah. I think they actually listen to what you're saying. They take what you're saying and they apply it. And I think it's really hard for middle school and high school kids to understand the concept of days off, um, recovery methods, um, not just sleep, meaning Saturday night into Sunday. Yeah. But meaning your sleep cycle for seven days, 14 days, whatever it may be, like having something set in stone, uh, understanding that 
nutrition does not mean just the night before the game Mm -hmm. or at lunch the day of the game, but this is something that we're going to try and implement throughout the course of your training. And, uh, again, recovery methods like, you know, whirlpools, Normatex, massage, things like that. I just think you guys and the ladies that are older just listen more and they seek it out and then they find what recovery methods are working best for them. And like I said, you know, um, a long time ago I was a high school athlete. I don't think anyone could have told me like, (laughs) Hey, take a day off. Yeah. I was too competitive. I'd be like, are you crazy? Yeah. Like, I bet you Paul's taking the day off. So if you think I'm taking the day off, there's no chance because now I've got them. Um, So it's like, I guess it's just, and the other thing too is understanding that recovery doesn't mean come to a complete stop. Yeah. You know, it's like um, you still have to do something active for yourself. So that could mean, again, just getting out and breaking a sweat, doing a warm up or, and then doing some foam rolling and then yep. submerging in a cold tub or whatever. That's not laying on your bed and playing Fortnite. Yeah. You know, it's like I did. Yeah. I took a day off. I played Fortnite for 12 hours yeah. and then, uh, oh, man. I flipped through my phone on Instagram. I saw the same posts like 16 times. Uh, the national average on media consumption uh, in the United States right now per day is 11 hours consuming media, 11 hours of media a day. See, and I trust that number cause I'm sure that you actually know that. And that's like disturbing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it popped up today. So here, here's something that, uh, I want to disturb our, our listeners with, uh, in, in just like a slightly jarring way, but we often get asked as athletes, what your favorite pregame meal is or what to eat before a game or how much sleep to get before a game or how much to hydrate. And, um, you can give an honest answer. You and I both can around the right, um, number of meals before a game, depending on when it is the protein, carbohydrates, saturated fats. Um, you can say, Hey, I'm going to get eight to nine hours of sleep. I'm going to be, you know, hydrating based on X amount of ounces, uh, per weight. And then we were doing the weigh in and weigh outs during team USA competition in Israel a few weeks ago, which we could get into, but, if you're only doing this to your point before games, not only is it ineffective, it can actually backfire. So if you're a fast food eater during the week and studies back this and say you're in high school, like I I was, I was eating McDonald's after school and then going to practice. And then the day before a game, all of a sudden I eat a bunch of healthy stuff. Your body actually rejects it because it's like, what is this coming into my system? Just as you see many people who are dehydrated for most of the week, all of a sudden they drink two and a half bottles of water and their pee is completely clear. It's because it's just jolting to your system and it reacts in a really an adverse way. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like, that's again, why I think it's a, it's a constant conversation. It's not like you're going to change instantly overnight, but we're going to try and say, Hey Paul, how about uh, we get McDonald's twice a week and the other five days, yeah. We work on it. And then well, for the record, it was yeah. location specific. It went to DeMatha and it was right next door. And, you know, we were scrubbing for quarters to get a double cheeseburger for a dollar after right. school. Yeah. And again, I, I also think, uh, 
try to make sense of it. I, I guess you could make sense of it. I mean, it's and and again, it's like uh, really what you're doing is uh, you have to be that support system. I mean, so like we have we do this with our a lot of our high school athletes. We have them send us pictures of their meals, and uh, we can you know manipulate a little bit what they're doing. Uh, it might draw the parents in, <clears throat> you know, in regards to why do you keep taking pictures of dinner? And, and you know, it's yeah. like, what are you doing? And then they start to share like, oh, well, the coaches I'm working with are kind of monitoring what I'm eating and we're trying to, you yeah. know, kind of turn the corner with some of this nutrition stuff. So, and then the parents can become more invested uh, in that component of it too. Yeah. So the conclusion that I wanted to draw on is that, truthfully, there shouldn't be a specific outside of like a superstition. And that's up to you. If, if that may be the case, a pregame meal or a designated number of hours of sleep or amount of ounces of water before game day, that should live throughout the week and be consistent such that if someone asks you that question, it's the same for every meal. Yeah. Part two, something that I've learned recently, if, if you uh, develop appetite the way that I do, um, and tend to overeat, even if you have the right, um, you know, assortment of foods on your plate is, uh, and especially when you eat these cafeterias, like we had in, in Israel, just load up plates is, is a quick tactical way to change that is grab a salad plate. And that just limits your ability to, to overload unless you're going layers, which is another problem if that's the case. But I picked that up on a podcast that I was listening to and I was like, wow. So I just start grabbing salad plates because I know my portion control is, right. uh, is not great. Yeah. They had salad plates at the kibbutz and I think I, I layered like 12 pieces of watermelon on top of yeah, it. Yeah. I, I and saw I that. I was like balancing it, getting it back <laughs> to the... I want to uh, uh, I want to hit on. I know uh, this is a just a small sample size of how long our conversations go on a regular basis, but injury for sure. That's been a big part of uh, the back third of my career, um, and uh, and we have done I think uh, a really good job assessing each injury and ways to not only recover but to position ourselves better, learning from how we got there. And one thing that I'll say before passing it to you is more times than not, the acute area of injury is not the area of focus. It's the area that got pulled on, tugged on, snapped because of inefficiencies elsewhere. Yeah. So, uh, I think, I don't know kind of where this saying comes from, but it's something that, uh, I believe in, but it's, it's compartmentalizing an injury. And, uh, I think a lot of people just say again, like, Oh, this spot hurts. That must be what's wrong. And we forget to look from, you know, whichever way you want to do it, top down or bottom up and figure out, well, what's leading to that stress. Is that just the area that's absorbing the stress? Uh, because it's overcompensating for something else. Um, And again, I think, uh, you mentioned running mechanics and stuff like that. And, you know, some of it goes back to, we think like, you know, some of the problems with your foot or whatever, go back to the, the running mechanics. And, uh, some of it, you know, again, just can go back to, uh, how your body's dissipating forces. Cause again, you talk about, 
you know, you're, you're best known for your split dodge, you know, and that's a pretty explosive, uh, heavily loading all areas of your body type move. Um, and again, like you said, if you're six, three, 218 pounds and doing that, um, how well is your body dissipating the forces and just figuring out, you know, again, what is the cause what's working down the chain to cause this problem and what do we need to focus on to help take stress off that area? Yep. So examples of, of what we did is we, we uh, did some heat mapping. So sensor testing, we attached at your facility sensors to the bottom of my feet in cleats and in training footwear. And we were able to measure the amount of force per stride and per cut that I was doing in my, in my regular uh, movement pattern. We realized that the, the, the weight in force per stride when I was sprinting was just probably two and a half times what it should be. So an easy way to solve that was to increase my number of steps increase my cadence effectively while I was sprinting. And then what that would do would, would absorb a lot of the weight that was allocated to one foot at a time. So I downloaded an app that had a um, stride per minute counter. So I'd wear that in, in my headphones while I was working out and it would be like my, my normal stride was like, don't, 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 don't. And this one I was going was like, don't, 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 don't. And so what that did was alleviate a lot of the force per, per step that I was taking. So we went through it in a really technical way. And, and that's helped me as I, as you mentioned, I, I broke my foot twice and we, we were trying to like figure it out. Now we could get even more granular and talk about my, my foot morphology, which isn't great in genetic, but, um, yeah, solving for injury and, and really thinking critically is, is important. Yeah. And <clears throat> the other part was we, I mean, you basically alluded to this was we used a lot of resources. Yep. Um, you know, again, I, I feel like in this industry, there's a lot of egos. We kind of mentioned that a little bit and, uh, a little bit of it is healthy. It allows you to, uh, function and believe what you're doing. Um, but within that we use some technology. We were, uh, utilizing, um, different physical therapists. We were utilizing, um, massage therapy. We were utilizing neurotherapy. We were utilizing a sports psychologist. Like, I mean, again, like all these roles are helping solve that problem. So it's not, it's not like an easy, uh, easy fix. You have to be able to collaborate with all these different professionals so that you as the athlete get back to doing what you're good at. So, um, and again, I think it just comes down to, uh, this job and probably some of the other jobs that I mentioned there are, you have to understand like, um, you invest the time, but it's not about you. It's about the athlete that you're serving and getting them back to being what they know they can be or better than what they can be. Yep. Well put. And, uh, I think you, you've done a a great job and continue to grow. It's been especially, um, enjoyable for me and fun and many, and many occasions really hard to, uh, to reach peak performance, which 
uh, without your support, I wouldn't have been able to do. And then now watch you do that with a lot of other athletes and continue to, to grow in this industry and, and beyond, um, to a, to a part two at some point, I, uh, I know we, again, we can, we can talk for hours, but I think we covered some things at a high level. Um, last question I have is, uh, is your favorite, your favorite tool that you're using right now. I'll, I'll, I'll steal one that's always like in the corner of my eye uh, at the facility that you can lead with as you think about what you like to use right now. And it could be for supplemental work is you have a bucket of rice. Um, I, I think it's for just like forearm strength. I don't that's really correct. use it too often. Yes. Uh, most of my forearm workouts for, for those that ask and, and, uh, and wonder is, is just, I always say it's just stick work. Um, but rice bucket for the athletes, uh, it's basically kind of any implement that challenges them outside of challenges them in a way of, they perceive it that this is going to be simple and it's hard. Yep. Um, and it doesn't take, uh, anything really special to do that, but it's just, you take an exercise or a device uh, to do an exercise, you show them how to do it, <clears throat> you make it look really simple, and then you watch them go through this struggle yeah. of the mental kind of um, battle that they're going through. It's probably not even as much physical. It's just the point of um, mentally, they know they have to do this for a certain amount of time. Um, Is it, it the seven the seven way hip? workout right now i mean gonna, again like the the no the no joke seven <laughs> no uh, joke seven yeah is uh that's <laughs> somewhere to google one. no joke seven would anything come up or is that just your saying that's my saying okay. and i like <laughs> i basically took that routine from uh tim ferris's book um yeah. uh, tools of the titans yeah um i was reading you know him describing it <clears throat> and he was describing what everybody goes through he was like i'm in the corner of the gym trying to go through this uh, routine, and I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? This is, like, so yeah. hard and everything. So I was, like, I was reading it on the plane coming back from England two summers ago, and I was, like, I mean, seriously, like, this can't be that hard, you right. know? So, so, when I, so when I got back, I found a corner of the gym where yeah. no one could see me, Just and I case. started doing it, and I was, like, literally, like, grabbing turf like this is this is really hard can we and, try to describe it uh it's basically seven uh motions that you put your hip basically through so your your glutes and your hamstrings and you mainly feel it in your glutes because again a lot of people have weakness there um seven different motions that you're going to do and you do 20 repetitions of all seven motions without stopping yep. on one leg and then you switch to the other side. Yeah. And really it's like you can kind of grit through the first side and then there is some carryover in regards to your fatigue. When you flip over to do the other leg, you immediately start feeling like the anguish yep. of what you did on the previous yep. side. Yeah. Um, it's almost like blood restriction. It is, blood restriction is a great tool uh, to, again, like uh, I've experienced it. I've watched other athletes experience it where you're just like, 
you're not sure that you are going to be able to finish. You want to finish, but it also feels like something might explode. I, I just um, got out of a blood restriction physical therapy across the way for my hamstring, and it was a disaster. <laughs> I had a 10-pound weight on my ankle uh, doing hamstring curls. Right. And it was you know, set at 80%, uh, and it just squeezes the blood down into that area. And you do 30 reps for round one and then three more rounds of 15. And in between each set, you get 30 seconds. Correct. Except there's no actual like recovery because the blood is just continuing to pump into that area. So the worst part is actually those 30 seconds. But yeah, like it was the, the, the last set I thought I was going, my, my hamstring was going to explode. So the first time I did it, I did shoulder raises, lateral raises. And uh, sometimes I think I'm pretty smart. Um, so I thought I'm going to outsmart the machine. <laughs> so I do my first set and it's dis- there's some discomfort. And then I do the second set. And as I'm doing the second set, I'm like, I know what I'm going to do when this set's over because it's going to be really uncomfortable. I'm going to calm myself down and lower my heart rate and lower my blood pressure and that'll give me some relief. Yeah. So smart guy starts doing some deep breathing and bringing his blood pressure down. But the unit that I'm using is calibrated on blood pressure. So it recognizes so it. So it recognizes your blood pressure goes <laughs> down and it pumps it up twice as hard to get it back to where it's supposed That's to exactly be. exactly what happened to me. And I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking, you idiot. Like, of course that was going to happen. I just didn't think of that because the first set got me so like, I need to find a way to make this more comfortable. Uh, so that was a great experience. And then, uh, for me, I bought this, uh, contraption called a shoulder rock, which is, uh, from Kabuki strength labs. And it's basically, um, just, a, a giant steel rod that you can do a lot of, uh, shoulder mobility, shoulder strengthening, core strengthening exercises with, um, and I, it's great cause you just bring it out in the gym and it really freaks all the kids out. If they see me using it, they're like, cause you're swinging it around your head. Like you're in like the Highlander games. Oh, the thing's nuts. Yeah. And people are looking at you like, so is he working out or <laughs> is he about to just, uh, go crazy? Yeah. Thrones. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. uh, so those are, two of my favorites right now. But again, everything kind of cycles through. Um, yeah, I thought you were going to say the adductor smash. The adductor smash is great. It's just like a unique uh, form of fun and uh, discomfort and pain all rolled into one. Yeah. So no pun intended. We'll, um, we'll, we'll highlight all this stuff in our show notes. We'll dig up the, uh, the no joke seven. Um, and then we'll link to uh, me doing an adductor smash on my Instagram earlier this week. Yeah, which the guy on your Instagram page, I don't, I can't remember who it was, uh, said, you know, shout out Kelly Sturette. And I'm like, yeah, it's not like uh, Greg and I were sitting there claiming that we yeah, created yeah. the adductor <laughs> smash. Yes, I have read uh, Supple Leopard. Thanks, Kelly Sturette. Yeah. That's kind of how the industry works. You right. find people that are really smart <laughs> that are putting information out and you grab it and you utilize it. That's so, it, man. Um, so I am not. Uh, 
the inventor of the adductor smash and neither yeah. is Greg Beast. Yeah. Um, but before we sign off, yes, I would be remiss if I did not say uh, special thanks to my wife and kids because I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for their love and support. Wonderful. Thanks, brother. If you enjoyed Jay and my conversation, please be sure to let us know. You can do so on social media. My Twitter handle is at Paul Rabel. His is at Coach Jay Dyer. You can be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with Team USA teammate, gold medalist, and New York attackman Rob Pinnell. His episode and many more are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. And when you find us, please hit subscribe and give us a rating and review. It goes a long way. Thank you. Check out this week's episode show notes on suitinguppodcast.com and all of our previous guests. Thank you to today's sponsor, ZipRecruiter. You can go to ziprecruiter.com forward slash cross to access that deal. And next week, stay tuned for my third and final guest from our world championship run. He's a remarkable player and friend. Until then, have a great week, everyone.